grace and mercy and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Dear friends in Christ, who here wants to be in the sweet hereafter after all of this? Who here is banking on hoping that there is a life after this one? I most certainly am and most certainly do, but as I look at the world, I always thought that the idea of an afterlife was declining in the population at large, but not so, says a recent Ipsos Reuters poll. A worldwide poll discovered that 51% of people on this planet still believe that there is an afterlife, while 23% believe they will just cease to exist when they close their eyes in death, and 26% simply do not know what will happen after they die. Over half the world still believes that there's something after this life, and perhaps it's because this life is not always so grand. Even without the proper Christian understanding of this world being a sinful world, it's easy to see that it's a broken one, filled with broken relationships, broken families, broken hearts, and broken bones. Yet it is not the rough road of life that scares most people. Even when things are hard, we cling to this mortal coil with a ferocity that cannot be matched by anything else mankind does. We are willing to stand around the water cooler and discuss pain in relationships, pain in our hearts, pain in our bodies. But the thing rarely discussed, if ever, is death. I had the privilege of attending a course put on by the Canadian Armed Forces, and the speaker was a psychologist, an ex-American Navy engineer whose husband was a Navy SEAL, killed suddenly in a helicopter accident. And this made her question everything she knew about life and death. So she left the Navy to study psychology and thanatology, that is, the study of death and dying. The room where we gathered was filled with military personnel, civilians, social workers, psychologists, counselors, and all sorts of people in other helping professions. She opened up with this question. How many of you deal with people who have been through the pain of loss or psychological or emotional issues due to trauma? All the hands shot up in the room and heads were bobbing positively. She continued, how many of you discuss with your clients plan to deal with those traumas? A few hands went down. She goes, now how many of you talk about death with your clients and its coming certainty? How many of you talk about the certainty of the death of their loved ones? All the hands were down and the heads were shaking in the negative. Then she said, are there any chaplains in the room? The two military chaplains present were myself and Ken Nettleton. She looked at Ken and me and said, you must talk about this with your people. I said, ma'am, it is our bread and butter. Dear friends, it is my bread and butter, or perhaps most appropriately, it is my bread and water in this ministry. Not because there's nothing after we close our eyes in death, but because there is. Over half the world still believes it, but it is not the belief of the world that makes it so. It is not the desire for something better that makes it real. It's because God has gone ahead to prepare a place for you. And the question that has plagued mankind since the beginning is this, how does one get there? So far, 
the way to get to the afterlife is to die. Most people dislike that part because it's attached to our brokenness. For us as Christians, we know that the wages of sin is death. We are born into a world of death. We are guaranteed that when we are born, the road that we are on will lead to death. What we desire is the kingdom of heaven. And with this in mind, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night. The church that Nicodemus belongs to has promised him the kingdom of God based on his heritage, based on his keeping of the law, based on his ritual cleanliness. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth to Nicodemus are about the kingdom of God saying this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't singling Nicodemus out, but all people, unless someone, anyone, is born again. A general statement about how people get into the kingdom of heaven. You must be born from above. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to us, not a new teaching or superior knowledge that must be attained, not new or more meritorious works that must be achieved. You don't need to start a new church or religion or ecclesiastical branch of the Pharisees. You need an entirely new life and spiritual birth to enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine Nicodemus' thoughts at that moment? Nicodemus was of the chosen people of God, the Jews. He was a righteous keeper of the law of Pharisees, and according to that Pharisaical law, he was considered clean. Jesus shatters once and for all the every supposed excellence that Nicodemus brings to the table. All the merit of human deeds and the excellence of man's attainment means nothing when it comes to entering the kingdom of God. Only one thing matters, Jesus says, you must be born from above. And Nicodemus asks, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Nicodemus is not being dense or obstinate or argumentative. Nicodemus understands that this birth is more than just a physical one or he would have thrown up his hands and walked away saying, that's impossible. No one can enter into the womb a second time. But Nicodemus simply puts down this requirement of rebirth into his own words. What is this rebirth and how can it happen? And here it comes. Jesus says the way to enter the kingdom of God, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Baptism. Not the works of man, not some spiritual enlightenment, not be belonging to some visible denomination or religious order. Baptism. Water and the spirit. Water, the earthly element, and the spirit, the divine agent. The two together open heaven's gates, gets you the afterlife, gives you the promise of everlasting life, puts you on the path to the sweet by and by. And how can these things be? How can it be so simple? Not my works? Nope. Not my will? Nope. Not my wit? Nope. Not born of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of men, but born of God? Yes. The other day I was on the phone with a young woman who confessed to me she was terrified, is terrified of death. It is not that she was not a Christian. She most certainly was a Christian. But all the snake oil that churches have been selling for the past centuries had seeped into her theology and thus the assurance of the forgiveness of sins and the promise of everlasting life was overcast. So she said and confessed, I am terrified to die. As we talked, I said to her, 
Most people think that Christianity is about being good. That God is concerned with your morality and wrapped up in your morality is your immortality. I told her that not one of the members here at Riverbend is good. In fact, they come because they know they are not good and that God was not as concerned with their morality as he was with their mortality. I said, God so loved the world that he sent his son in the flesh to pay for sins that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I said, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. I said, death is the door from this veil of tears to an eternal life with God. How do I get it? She asked. I love, I love when the Lord throws softballs up in the air that I might hit them out of the park. And so I said, baptism. She asked, okay, what do I need to do for that? What kind of preparations do I need to do? What are the requirements? There are none, I said. You come to church, I put some water on your head and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God gives you his Holy Spirit, forgives you all of your sins, and gives you the promise of everlasting life. The line went silent. That's too easy, she said. I like it. I want it. But it seems too easy. Blank, I said. Christ died for the forgiveness of all of your sins. God loves you so much that he sent his son and has done everything for your salvation. This water and the word is for your assurance. God's work for you. In those waters you are baptized into Jesus' death. So just as Jesus was raised to new life, so shall you be raised from the dead. Dear friends, baptism is all God's work and he adopts you into the family of God and gives you forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come and that is your eternal life with Christ. It doesn't matter how it happened, whether it was Curtis saying to me one evening in my office as he was there for marriage preparation, asking as we talked about baptism, well, why shouldn't I be baptized? And so he was. Or Hadley and Penny baptized in their kitchen with a kitchen bowl and sink water. Or Todd and Rob baptized here later in life in the sanctuary with their family looking on. Or Heather being baptized by a naval chaplain because all of the other kids were doing it. Or Steve knowing that without the word of God present, his first baptism wasn't baptism at all. But the baptism he received here at Riverbend was baptism into God's name. Or Molly, baptized by her dad with water from a stainless steel hamburger bowl by the sink. Or Gabriella, today baptized, a babe added to the family of God to receive the full forgiveness of sins for her sins, her whole life forgiven, protection from the devil, and the promise of life everlasting. The same as Curtis and Hadley and Penny and Rob and Todd and Heather and Steve and Molly and you and me. God adopts you through water and spirit and this is the baptism that now saves you. Saves you from sin and death and the devil. Dear friends, being baptized into Christ is to be baptized into Christ's death. And thus, because he was raised from the dead, so shall you rise. Dear friends, I rise in the morning. I get up and I look in the mirror and I think, I don't look Christian. I don't feel Christian. I know that I don't act Christian. But I am a Christian, as are you, because Christ has called us to be his own in the waters of baptism. So that when the day comes when we can no longer rise, God will raise us from the dead and take us home. This is most certainly true. Thanks be to God. 
Amen. And now let us pray. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in and through Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Hi, Pastor Sai here. I hope this message was encouraging for you. At Riverbend Lutheran Church, our goal is to support Christians in their daily walk with God and in proclaiming the love of Christ to a lost and broken world. We're a small and inviting congregation welcoming any and all who are sinful, hurting, seeking, or simply broken. Whether you're already a Christian and are looking for a church home or you're undecided about your faith and looking for answers, you are welcome here. We have a number of programs for all ages and walks of life. Sunday mornings we have worship followed by educational programs for all ages. Please join us. For more information, you can visit us online at www.riverbendlutheran.com, call us at 780-430-7382, or email me at pastor at riverbendlutheran.com. Better yet, stop in for a visit. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace.